This is a strange time with lots of pressures and stress. I can't make it all disappear, of course, but I can offer you a way to stay hopeful, grounded, and focused for the new year. It's called Productivity Tools 2021. Simple strategies to help you be calm, mindful, relaxed, and productive. Themes include a working-at-home self-assessment, startup and shutdown routines, three ways to use fasting for clarity, a method to replace bad habits, spring clean-up-your-life tips, and so much more. During December and January only, we are offering a two-for-one special. Get the 2021 Focus Toolkit and all the 2020 organizational tools with their how-to recordings. For only $19.99, you can have two toolkits for the price of one, how-to recordings to get organized, and invitations to 12 months of upcoming Focus tutorials and recordings. But don't wait too long to decide. After January 31st, the price will go up to $27.99 and will only include the 2021 toolkit. So don't miss out on this great deal. Get in on your two-for-one Productivity Tools special right away before the deadline. Go to shiftworkplace.co slash productivity tools. That's shiftworkplace.co slash productivity tools. Hello, Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners. Today, I'm really happy to present to you Chris Thompson, who is the head coach for Student Works Management in Eastern Canada. Chris started out as a student operator for Student Works. You may have seen their signs around. The signs are Student Works Painting, Student Works Window Cleaning. He started out as a student operator. Then he became the vice president, a partner, and then he bought the business in 1993. So he has a long history of working with Student Works and of helping university students develop practical skills that they can use to start a business. He recruits entrepreneurial-minded students who are in university, and in January, they put in 15 to 25 hours a week learning how to run a business. They learn to market, to sell to clients, they learn to recruit, select teams, hire, and how to make everything happen so that the customers are happy for a painting or window cleaning. What they discover as a result is what they like best, what they don't like, what they want to do with their lives, and either they select a business that suits them or they become better employees selected more effectively as a result of their training. So the brand operates across Canada and Chris takes care of the Eastern Canada branch. And Chris, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the Culture and Leadership Podcast Connection. Well, thank you for having me, Marie. I'm really excited having listened and seen your podcast about having a great conversation. Well, I'm happy that you were able to join me today. And I think that we are the first, this time this year, you are the first business owner who has been oriented towards student leadership that I have interviewed on the podcast. So this is pretty exciting. All right. So that was just a little bit about you formally in your business, but maybe tell the audience a bit about who you are <laughs> so that we can get to know you a bit better. Yeah. So I like to go by the term head coach. I've called myself a head coach for decades. And so really I'm a coach and I love the whole idea of being a coach. And I'm also a father. I've got three amazing kids and my partner is the CEO of our business and she's an amazing uh, leader and business person. So that's who I am. That's great. So I'm going to ask you to get a little bit more personal and to share a couple of incidents from your childhood that you think made you into the person you are today. Yeah. So my parents were married for 50 years and my mom got remarried to an amazing guy. 
And my older sister and younger sister were there saying, hey, we got to get a bunch of the stuff from dad out of here. So he's got a space to move into. So I remember getting a box from mom that she had removed. And I remember this one card that I wrote down as a kindergarten grade one. I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but it basically um, it said, I want to be a rich man. I want to be a maple leaf or a Bruin, but I want to be a rich man. And so I think it was always really, really clear. Um, you know, I was kind of the golden haired child of the family. Um, you know, I know my brother's gone into uh, social work and, and he always, you know, tells me, and I think it's pretty clear, you know, I was kind of the example of the family. Uh, it just kind of how it played out. And I sort of stepped into that role. My dad was very successful and I kind of uh, really took it on to really be successful. There's no question that I saw that as, as really important and uh, something to win my mom and dad's love. So that was a big, big driver for me uh, throughout my life, um, you know, in school, in sport, socially, supporting around the house, just those types of things were really important for me. So what do you mean when you say those types of things? Well, in terms of the ways that I felt were important to perform, like, so there are a bunch of things say I wouldn't have considered important music, art, you know, not something that really were important to me to place value on or how I judge myself, but things that I saw as really important to me, I put a lot of focus on. That's what I mean. And what would some of those important things be? Well, academics, you know, certainly being liked for sure, getting along. You know, I found swimming at a young age by 10. I, I was an elite swimmer and just spent more and more of my teenage years swimming. I, I won junior nationals. I was an elite swimmer at University of Toronto. We won four provincial titles and a national title. My peak level was I was number eight in the nation at university championships. I, I ran businesses while in school as well. Those were things that I considered important and put a lot of time into. So you were pretty clear on what mattered to you, and that's what you put your effort into in a very focused way. Yes, yes. Tell me a little bit about some of those early businesses that you started. So because I swam, and so that involved before school and after school, and then weekends I'd have swim meets, those were the types of times where you could get part-time jobs. And so I didn't want to ask my parents for money and I wanted to make my own money. And so, you know, I remember dad going, well, hey, why don't you go cut people's lawns or, you know, shovel their snow. And, and so I would just wake up before swim practice and shovel the local neighbor's snow and make some extra money. And then eventually I started doing lawn care and I would just walk around the block with my uh, lawnmower because I couldn't drive until I was 16. And then once I could do that, then I started getting more and more clients and eventually by I was the time in my late teens, I had about 50 clients that I had that we would do during the spring and during the fall and around school and during the summer, of course. You're a perfect example of student works management your yeah. whole life. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a perfect business for you because that's what you've been doing all along. <laughs> I know. I certainly relate very well to our student leaders because I was one and it just seems so natural. And, you know, one of the big things we say you need in our program is someone with a big engine, someone who just, you know, has lots of energy and what am I going to go do? Well, as well, hey, go talk to some customers, go do some services. And uh, so that's what I've been doing all my life. Someone who's willing to get out there and take some risks and talk to people and be prepared to be rejected. 100%. Because if most of the risk in this business is really the time, you know, because we don't let people really buy anything until they've actually got 
clients. So really, it's just the, the time and then you're right, that fear of rejection. And once we uh, start to train people and we can frame it properly, it's like, well, if I talk to 100 people, Marie, I'll have, you know, six people who say yes to me and that we've got a chance to get an estimate. And out of that, I'll get three who, who book with me. And then if I get better, then maybe the number will be eight and five, you know, and I just recognize that it's okay. A whole bunch of people may not need painting services, may not need window cleaning service. And that's perfectly okay. It has nothing to do with me. It just has to do with their needs. Right. I was going to ask you about that fear of rejection piece, because you can always tell people it's a numbers game. That doesn't necessarily help them overcome that fear. What kinds of things do you do in student works management to help people overcome their fear of rejection? So we coach them that it's a numbers game. And then one of the things we do is we really try to separate out the two things. So first of all, I'm a big believer, Marie, let's set up a plan for that young student to say, okay, I'm going to go out Tuesday and Thursday this week, and then on Saturday and Sunday for a few hours each time. So just get them to do the activity, okay? Because we need to just practice the activity and get them involved in just doing the work go out and then we obviously role play the scripts and they get better and better at the script. And through just doing the work, which is the first part of it, just the activity. So you said you're going to go from six to eight 30. Well done, David. Fantastic. We did that. Now let's really recognize and acknowledge that. And so to get them to see that that actually is really powerful because so many people in the world don't actually make a plan and do that plan. And then the second part is actually where you start to get into your judgments about the rejection part of it. So for us, then it's like, okay, all that is about is getting better at the specific skill. So first of all, are we doing the plan? Second of all, how can we get better? Yeah, because if you look at it, well, oh, I didn't get any clients and I went out for 15 minutes today. That's the wrong measurement. Yes. Really, the measurement is, wow, I went out for 15 minutes. Tomorrow, I'm going to go out for half an hour or even maybe an hour. And then you just keep going from there, right? And I imagine you're coaching people on the side. So you're saying, yes. good job. You yes. got this much done. Awesome. That's just great. So that those first steps get encouraged. Very early on, that's really critical. Like it's the only focus of the business is teaching our teams how to market. So we do it individually with them. And then the district managers who maybe work with a group of 10 to 15 people, depending on what their circumstances are, or they're directing them, they're coaching them, they're calling them. How's it gone so far? They can tell that so-and-so is planning on going out from 10 till one o'clock. They text them. How's it going so far? And the person, if they don't text back, they for sure call them. If they text back, oh, I've got two leads already. Hey, wonderful. Keep up the great work. And we'll call them later, you know, because we see that they're engaged and motivated. Now, by the way, just so we're clear, the two Two leads may not be very good leads, no, exactly. <laughs> but that's okay. You yeah. know, it's just learning. It's just the process. And we coach that part of it. It's just a process. Right. So you really help them to engage with that process so that they're focusing on the activity. And as they go through the activity and start to see results, then you probably are focusing more on the results and how they can refine that better. 100%. So the first part of it is coaching for that commitment, the integrity of making the plan. And then second of all, we're coaching for the refinement, the improvement. They're constantly getting better. And then eventually it moves more to leadership. They say, Chris, I've got it, or district manager, I've got it. I'm just going to go out two times a week and I'll get these leads for my weekend so that I can have estimates to do this week. And then what 
typically we'll do is, is if all of a sudden there's a fall off, we'll just go back to those two things. Well, first of all, usually the fall off because they do have the skill set is around they didn't do what they said they were going to do around their activity. But sometimes uh, what it is to be human is we forget or we stop doing the things that actually were making us successful. So then we kind of, okay, let's role play. What were you saying? Or what was your mindset? Were you disappointed in yourself? Were you discouraged? Yeah, I was really discouraged, Chris. I was really feeling blue or whatever it is. And then we make action plans around that. Yeah. And then you also sometimes just get tired. (laughs) For sure. Yes. And that's a good thing to go rest. That's a good thing to go rest if you get tired. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I really got sidetracked with asking you all these questions about that, but let me go back to my typical uh, question. So you shared the one uh, example of the discovering that, you know, you had written when you were a young age that you wanted to be rich. That has oriented you towards being an achiever and also towards being entrepreneurial, which the, and from there you start cutting people's lawns and shoveling snow and which led you directly into what you're doing now. So everybody's born into a group, into a country, into a, a culture, a race. Uh, usually there's a religion or a religious influence or a belief influence at something like that. So what were some of those um, groups and what, uh, which of them would you say have influenced your sense of culture and self? Yeah, so I grew up uh, Roman Catholic. So I went to Roman Catholic school and Roman Catholic high school. We went to church every Sunday. Mom and dad have a really, really enormous faith. So that was significant, especially growing up. You know, there's privilege. My father was a very, very successful lawyer, you know, was chairman of one of the largest law firms in the country. And so there was definitely privilege, but, you know, there was a real responsibility in our family about like all all the kids have been successful. All those kids are contributing members of society. So I think there's a real sense of going and being successful as well. So it's it's not privilege. Oh, I'm going to sit and just watch TV, you know, lots of structure at home and rules at home. So those are, those are some things I think that jump up to me. Yeah, you're talking mainly about your family influence. Correct. And yeah, Correct. and then also the idea of sort of the, maybe the Catholic formation, which gives you structure and discipline and belief that keeps moving through difficulties. I'm just extrapolating yes. on what I, you said. I think that, no, I think that's accurate for sure. Mm-hmm. Like social class, certainly, I guess, I, I don't think I really ever really recognized it, but I guess clearly, you know, we used to think we were in the middle class. I don't think we were in the middle class, certainly upper middle class, but it's, it's how you judge it. Canadians all think they're middle class. Yes. So that's certainly what happened for us. You know, other orientations, certainly around education. All my brothers and sisters went to university where I was university educated. That would be an important orientation for me as well. Mm-hmm. Then as you grew up, you would have chosen to belong to groups. And some, one of those that you mentioned already was swimming, uh, because swimming is an orientation, right? It's not just learning to do a particular thing, but there are people who swim have a particular mentality and they, they identify with other people who have swum. And that, so that could be one. And there's a swimming culture, right? Get up early, go you know, swim, do your laps, do what you have to do, work with your coach, like all that kind yeah. of part of it. So tell me a little bit about those groups that you chose to belong to and how they affected you. Yeah, so definitely swimming was a huge one, and and that hard work. I, and again, we've I, I've worked with many many swimmers in our business before, and almost universally they've been successful because they work really hard, and they're coachable because they've had coaches and they put the time in. So certainly that's something I I know as well. I was coached by three really elite national team coaches, and that had me impacted around becoming a coach. Um, 
Another group that I've spent a lot of time with and more and more throughout my career is the entrepreneurial community. So, you know, I chose entrepreneurialism. I love the earn what you can and, you know, the freedom of being an entrepreneur. So I know lots of entrepreneurs. I've joined entrepreneurial organizations. I've led entrepreneurial organizations because of that connection. Mm -hmm. So those were groups that affected you that you joined? Anything about language, ethnicity, anything else? I'm an Anglophone, and I know in dealing with Quebec, because we have a, quite a sizable business in Quebec, it's something that I'm, I'm very clearly that I'm not bilingual. I would love to become bilingual, you know, so I'm not. You know, there's probably a sense of disappointment around that. Wish I'd figured that out or uh, spent more time on it. But, you know, I find it difficult to become bilingual in uh, largely Anglophone Toronto. Oh, yeah. And as an adult, you have many other responsibilities. It's always easier to learn languages when you're a child or if you're in some kind of a program at university where you have to do it kind of thing, right? Yeah, immersion program. Yeah, totally. So what would you say your temperament is? I mean, you've alluded to a little bit temperament when you're born with, I'd say you have this drive and this focus that come out very clearly in the things that you've been saying. Yes. And the ability to make things actionable. I would say practical too. Yeah, like, very practical. So add on to that. What, what would you say you're born with that? It's just who you were when you came out and you've just continued in that. You know, I've always been very people focused and very considerate and, uh, you know, wanting to sort of get along and, you know, be supportive. And then as a result of those attributes, be liked, you know, so that was very, very important to me, you know, in my family, and then also outside my family in school, and, you know, and the different activities I had. So that would be a significant personality trait for sure. Maybe a drive. For sure. Yeah. Definitely mm -hmm. very, very competitive uh, for sure. Yeah. So the competition is a drive and also wanting to be liked is a drive and being yes. clear on what your personal drivers are is very helpful. Yes. Most people have no clue what drives them. Then they can't figure out why stuff keeps going wrong. So, you, I mean, you might have a driver around security, for example, or you might have a driver around freedom. Right. You might have a driver around taking initiative, you know, things like that. So that's interesting. So then personality is a result of overcoming obstacles and learning and building on with what you've already got from temperament and, you know, or sometimes making significant changes. So what would you say you've added on personality-wise? Persistence, uh, a growth mindset of, you know, constant and never-ending improvement, learning. I really have a drive to learn, a connection, so a real drive to connect, and then, you know, really to understand myself and others, for sure. So I have a real interest in that as well. Hmm. You seem to be a curious person. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I'm not. Like I know, um, you know, Colby.com, I'm not much of a fact finder, but I'm very curious with people. Like I remember conversations I'll have like 25 years ago, I'll, you know, connect with one of my alumni and, they'll, and I'll say, yeah, I remember you told me about this. And they, how do you remember that? And again, it's people and conversations. Those are things that really I connect to. Mm -hmm. It's interesting what different people connect to. Yes. Yeah, it's not the same right from the time their children what kinds of things they will connect with and what things they won't. It's very interesting. So can you recall a time when you, you felt that your way of understanding the world was specific to you culturally and not just the norm? For example, you're pretty entrepreneurial. Yes. You must have run across people who are not, and that could have been a shock to the system. 
I remember having a beer at the University of Toronto. I can't remember, second year, probably second year, maybe it was third, but there was an upperclassman or a master's student. And he said, what do you mean there's a right and a wrong? And it blew my head off. <laughs> and so, so you know, for me, it, 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 at that point, it, what do you mean? It's, it's, yeah, of course there's a right and a wrong. I never considered there wasn't a right and a wrong growing up in a, again, Roman Catholic household. And I never really thought about that, you know, sort of culturally. Certainly, it took me a while to really, I think I was just so busy doing to really get how different I saw the world in terms of just the level of activity or the, the entrepreneurial drive I have. That was probably uh, a difference for me as well. Mm-hmm. You're following the beat of your own drummer. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're getting close to the end of the interview, and if you're going to give some tips to other people about how they can work best with you and how to communicate effectively with you, what kinds of things would you say? You know, first of all, I'm a big believer in just communicating openly and directly and honestly, uh, you know, and, and looking for the best possible outcomes. So there's a, a group of habits that I took on from uh, Dan Sullivan of the Strategic Coach as a, as a key value in our business years ago, and it's called the Four Referability Habits. So we really base the workability of our business around these four things. So number one, we say, be on time. And then we say, do what you say, finish what you start, say please and thank you. If you really think about if we consistently had a high level in our community or in our company or our family of people who were on time, they did what they said, they finished what they started, they said please and thank you to me, that means just treating people respectfully and kindly, then that would really create an enormously positive environment uh, for people to work in and something that would really work. Yeah, it's a cluster of respect of others and personal accountability, really. Yeah. And that's something as well, Marie, that I'm a real believer in, in the, the whole, you know, being 100% responsible, taking 100% responsibility. And again, that's not blame, you know, really doing our best to sort of shy away from, oh, who's, who's at fault? No, no, no. Just, oh, what happened? You know, okay. What, you know, as a result of that happening, what could we do in the future so that doesn't happen? How could you be more reliable? Well, if you're supposed to come at 10 o'clock and you didn't, well, maybe having a reminder on your phone that went off at 9.55 so you'd remember to come. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, these little simple things that I know you likely have because you were early for our meeting um, and on time for our meeting. So there's these things that you just sort of take for granted that you've created in your world that support you to show up properly and effectively in the world. And so we coach and teach that a lot in our business so that, again, our, our young leaders can just grow and adapt and get better and better. Well, have you noticed any change in the demographics as you've been doing this for a long time, since 1993? So people tend to either say, oh, you know, young people are just so much better and more skilled, or they say, oh, young people have no drive and no work ethic. I don't think it's <laughs> one or the other, but, <laughs> but and yeah. it has to do with your expectations. But what are you noticing? Yeah, so I really believe that most generations look down on the next, and mm-hmm. that's what I see. And so that I really believe that 
you know, first of all, we deal with really high performers. We dealt with them in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. We're just continuing to deal with high performers. So I would say that definitely the group now have skills that the people in the 80s didn't have. Well, because there are things to have skills on that didn't exist back then. The social media skills or these different types of skills. You know, I do think as well, like that university students now are more prepared, are more skilled, are being taught better. But wouldn't you expect, like my business is so much better than it was a decade ago or two decades ago. I would hope that universities are way better. Exactly. As human beings, we should be consistently improving. Yes. I mean, it's dangerous if your children and your children's children and children's children's children all do exactly the same thing as you. Yeah. In exactly the same way. It means you're stagnating and they're just decreasing in skill as they go along. It's also dangerous if people just don't improve, you know, like they just, they move ahead with something and it doesn't improve and they keep making the same mistakes. So you're expecting the next generation to do better than you. It should be like that in businesses and uh, and institutions as well. And if it isn't, then we would want to wonder why, right? Yeah. And so I think that absolutely in many, many areas, they've gotten better, you know, but just like the world's, you know, gotten better. That's uh, Steve Pinker. I, I, I'm kind of a believer in that phase. And yes, we have lots of problems to deal with and lots of issues to deal with. And then there's outlying things that are, challenging. Like I still remember a story one of my young leaders sharing with me. And this was after a couple of years in the program. And he just goes, gosh, I used to not talk, Chris. You know, now I just talk and I share and I have conversations with people. I still remember going to a basketball t- tournament and we were all in the van and we were not talking. We were just texting things back and forth between each other, you know, different videos or links or things like that. There's things that are happening because of the technology, because of the changes that are affecting how people are relating to one another. That again, to me, it's like this conversation, Marie, is in depth. There's depth to it that you're asking real questions and you're getting real answers and there's vulnerability that really, to me, is the spice to life and the real, you know, where you really understand things in the world, not a text. You know, it's really tough with texting. And there's opportunities for growth in that area, for sure, for our our young people. Well, texting is very useful to follow up and to check in. It's not useful to have a conversation unless it's a logistics conversation. Like, where are you? I'm over by the gas station. You know, like, okay. Yes. And even then, it might be better to just talk to them and say, okay, I'm like, I'm coming from here. Can you see me? <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's useful as a support, but it doesn't replace having a dialogue for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else you would like to say? All of the conversation about childhood and, and things, you know, the one thing that sort of stands out for me is just the whole space around privilege, you know, and just how privileged I am being white and male in this society and the language and family I grew up with and the uh, community I got, and the school education that I got, just very, very enormously advantaged. And I certainly can recognize that and feel blessed because of that and certainly aware of all that we need to do as Canadians to make it as fair a playing field as we can for everybody and, you know, making a contribution for everybody wherever possible. Hmm. That leads me to another question. I'm, it's going to be the never-ending sure. interview. <laughs> <laughs> so for student works management, you know, you're looking for yes. stu- high-achieving and entrepreneurial students in university. Are you yes. seeing a diversity of applications? Well, um, it's interesting. We see less 
females than we'd like. If you think about universities, 60% of females are in university in many, many ways, they're really, really moving forward. And unfortunately, we don't get as many women applicants who not only apply, but see it right through to the end. And I'll tell you what I think it is, is men overestimate their capabilities of doing the role and women underestimate theirs. And so they are capable and they have more concerns about their capability. And we see many, many men who overestimate their capabilities. So that's something that we have grown in the percentage of women we have in the program. Now it's uh, about a quarter. When we got started, it was 10%. And I would love to continue to keep our women leaders growing in our business. So do you have coaches that are female? Yes, we do. And and the CEO of our business is all also female. So we definitely have uh, women leaders and senior leaders in our business, and we, uh, we look to support them and to grow and develop them. Which, of course, is probably, I mean, you've grown from 10% to 20, 25%. That's significant. And, yes. and you, you'll find out more as you go along. So yes. what about from a racial uh, standpoint? Are you seeing racial diversity? Certainly more racial diversity. And one of the big factors certainly is Canada and certainly Toronto is becoming more and more racially diverse. So that's certainly significant and shifting. That's a great thing. And it's always an opportunity to find people like, I like to say that there's three groups of people, Marie, who choose to do this that I've seen, you know, it's a lens I have, it's not a study I've done, but it's sons and daughters of entrepreneurs, of professionals, and then of immigrants. Okay. And I see the entrepreneurs and professionals as I get it. If my young daughter or son are going to be successful in the world, I want to support this. I'll help them with a car. I'll help them with this. I, you know, I'll encourage them when, because I know this is going to be trying and challenging. And so we get our biggest group from men. And then the first generation immigrant family coming over here and their kid is just, you know, so working to prove for mom and dad that yes, you did the right thing. You took me here and I'm going to do everything I can to pay you back and retire you early and those types of sentiments. So certainly we get more of our ethnic diversity from that latter group. And certainly I love to be, uh, you know, a cause for that in the world as well. Mm -hmm. And how about the composition of your leadership? Is it diverse? Our leadership comes from the best of the best. So certainly we have had, um, you know, diversity again. Women typically tend to be in the 25% range. The senior leaders, you know, in terms of ethnic diversity, you know, we're probably lacking there. And one of the probably factors is, is that, you know, one of the biggest things I would say that one of the challenges of an immigrant, a first generation Canadian coming over to Canada is, is really understanding just how Canadians think. Canadians are so supportive of students and they're just so willing to buy and so willing to do to support the, the students of our community. So I think maybe it's just people who have been here longer get it so that they're higher performers so they do better. You know, so that, so that could be something because there's two things that we're looking for from our senior management team is just that they're top performers so that they can develop those skills and share those skills. And then the second thing is that they're really about the cause, which is developing student leaders. Yeah, like tends to find like. If you want to increase your ethnic and racial diversity, you'd probably need to speak to some community leaders in different groups and say, well, how do you think we could pitch our program more effectively? And that would give you insights you may not get otherwise because other, we're all seeing the world through our own lens, right? Um, the other thing that's helpful to keep in mind is that a lot of immigrant parents 
want their children to be lawyers and doctors and um, engineers. And they think that doing other kinds of work is beneath them and it's not going to get them to the professional goal. So that is a a barrier to get through because if people don't have practical skills, there's a lot of stuff they're not going to be able to fall back on. And we've certainly seen people going through university and not getting work and the trades now being much higher paying. And so if people have a combination of practical skills and also thinking skills, they're more likely to be successful. So that would take a whole pitch, I would think, that would be directed towards immigrant parents who would be the gatekeepers for whether or not their young adult uh, children would be in the program or not. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head is them understanding that really, and even more so, this really isn't, yes, there's no question that some of the people who come and do this end up going into trades businesses because there's such a huge economic opportunity there and contracting and building and etc on the other hand um, the big piece in my mind is is just learning the sales skills the management skills the marketing skills of a small business that can make a real difference in being a lawyer, in being an engineer, in going and having a business career. Good chance is something that less resonates uh, for sure in some of those homes. And we're certainly, um, you know, sharing it again to our operators at all our trainings on our website, et cetera. But that would be something for sure that's an opportunity. Hmm. I have a lot of experience teaching immigrant entrepreneurs in uh, classes through an organization called Action for Healthy Communities in Alberta. And Mm -hmm. most of the Immigrants that are in my groups are already successful in their jobs, but they feel that they have something that they want to offer as entrepreneurs that they're not able to do within their job that they currently have. And also, it's a way to ensure some economic security. So instead of saying, I'm entirely dependent on my employer, I can use my own skills and my own savvy. And so if they've developed the skills, people already come with that mindset. So if you're... um, not reaching that group, then it could be that that group you need to you need to go speak to an, a few people in the in the group and find out what might be a good way to move forward. If you speak to university students and say, "Listen, we really want to increase the percentage of East Indian heritage that we have right. in our group, and we just want to know what would be useful for you and for your parents that would help bring greater numbers of people into our program. Help us, tell us what's going on, and um, that would be really really useful. I think." think all of us need to find ways to broaden our base. But at the same time, the skills that you offer are just so valuable. And uh, when people see that, I would think they'd be beating down the doors to come into the program. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things you commented on earlier is, is just the fear of failure, the fear of setback, the fear of rejection. So um, those are the things that sort of stand up against that. They see the, you know, good chance, the possibility of earned income, the, the skills, et cetera. So it's, it's up against the risk. And again, I think you've, uh, I'll take you up on your challenge, Marie. I am going <laughs> to have, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm committed to doing is having a bunch of uh, Zoom calls this year with our operators. And, and I'm going to take that on, on with those people of more ethnic diversity, sort of saying, hey, you know, Faraz or, or, you know, whoever, what do you think? What would reach out? What would make a difference? What did you see? So I think that's a great thing. And again, I think we, as I, I, I'm also up to the challenge in terms of, I agree with your perspective, we all need to do more. We all need to look at all different opportunities to broaden our base, as it were, and offer more opportunity. And, and even if we're offering it, because there's no question we're offering it here, but clearly we're not being successful in our offer. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so there are steps that we can take to make more progress. Yeah, and it tends to be good for everybody when you figure out what that is. You bet. It's sort of like when you figure out how to make the doorway work for people to come in with wheelchairs, all of a sudden everybody else goes, oh, this is so much easier to move in the office furniture. And (laughs) wow, isn't this great? It's just like when you make one improvement, it seems to be better for everybody. So it's always good to keep learning. Well, I will share the information that you've uh, given to me for the with our audience and our show notes. We have really good show notes, and it gives people all the links and ways to get a hold of you so that they can check out the Student Works Management Program. It's wonderful. I wish I would have known about it when I was in university. <laughs> and I wonder if I would have been one of those women who took you up on it or who didn't. Yeah, no, it's just yes, really, it really right. makes me yes. think, you know, like, would I have been one of those scaredy cat women or would I have been out there saying, hey, I'm an entrepreneur, I can do this because that's what I am now. So like, would I have been there at that moment? I don't know, you know, so it really gave me some food for thought as well. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation and I love the unique way you're making a difference in your podcast and having that work to really create a difference in your business and advisory work that you do. So uh, thank you so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Awesome. Thank you very much. Chris Thompson is an advocate for learning to do business one step at a time mastering each step along the way. I found it inspiring to hear about how he teaches business skills to college and university students through the Student Works program while they are still in school. As a result of his excellent tutoring, they take the practical experience with Student Works, along with their post-secondary studies, into their lives no matter what career choice they make later on. From his own youth, the culture of competitive swimming was formative in building habits of maximizing time, streamlining efforts, and working smart, making Chris the get-it-done energetic person that he is today. Chris is a master in executing a proven system that balances encouragement with challenge to help young entrepreneurs build business from a foundation of sales. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast, and you will tune in regularly and invite friends to hear more. Thank you for listening, and may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and inspire your day. This podcast would not be possible without the expertise of our Culture and Leadership Connections production team. A big thank you and shout out to Mike Kurlander for audio production and editing. To Malvika Kathpal for the show notes. Bernadette Guadiz for online web and social media management and promotions. Celine Bayogo for design and Kirsten Hoyer for website and branding. Thank you so much. Hey, Culture and Leadership Connections podcast listeners. Do you love these insightful and moving interviews published twice monthly for your listening pleasure? You may not know that it costs between $300 and $500 per month to pay for our podcast episodes. Shocking, but true. Well, now you can help support this podcast by showing your love with a little skin in the game real money on the Patreon website, For as little as $5 or as much as $50 a month, you can contribute to keep culture and leadership connections alive and healthy. Your donation is invaluable in helping us connect the hearts and minds of people across cultures and professions for happier and more humane workplaces. I know you will call on your inner generosity, knowing that your contribution is a practical demonstration of love and support. Check out the patreon.com slash culture and leadership connections page to see what subscription level feels right for you and find out about the special loyalty perks at each patron level. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash culture and leadership connections. 
thank you for your generosity.